The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Welcome to episode 8 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Sai, and I want to say thank you once again for pressing the play button. On today's show, later this month, WWE are promoting their Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, as they do annually every October. I thought this would be a great opportunity to go back a few years and have a look at the very first one they promoted in 2009. Um, Our guest today to discuss this uh, somewhat 11-year-old pay-per-view is Josh DeBoard of the regularly scheduled hostilities, wrestling podcast and the Boardroom sports podcast um josh's partner in crime with the rsh wrestling show uh, chuck winchester was a guest a couple of weeks ago and the conversation i have with josh today is as entertaining and brilliant as it was talking to chuck a few weeks back we discuss plenty of goings on from 2009 and also we cover a great deal of today's modern product from SmackDown and Raw, which is very much in Josh's wheelhouse. Hearing his thoughts on the current WWE product is also is always fascinating. Before we go on to today's main topic, I just want to give a big shout out and say thank you to everyone who has already followed the show on the show's podcast, Facebook and Twitter. Um, if you haven't already, please do so. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at SJP Wrestling Pod. I'm always looking for any feedback, interactions, suggestions and ideas for the show. Anything else at all, please just follow the show, reach out and let's have a chat about some wrestling. Now, getting back to today's episode, here we go. A conversation with Josh DeBoard of RSH Wrestling Podcast. All things Hell in a Cell 2009. Mr. Josh DeBoard. Hello, sir. How are we doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. Pretty good. Thank you very much for taking the time out from your very busy, hectic schedule of all the shows you do to uh, have a little talk with me today about Hell in a Cell 2009. Um, just for the benefit of the people listening, um, let everyone know about your shows and what it is you do. You cover quite a few different sports, don't you? Yeah, um, I'm on alleverythingentertainment.com uh, every Tuesday at uh, 8 o'clock Eastern time. Um I cover. I got my show, The Boardroom, which covers NFL, uh, college football, college bat. I mean, any kind of sport between baseball, NBA, and NFL is basically what I focus on. College football is picking up a little bit, so I plan on getting more involved in that as teams are allowed to start playing again. But right now, the big things NFL and the NBA with the uh, finals going on and the NFL being in full swing. Then how I met you was you were on my show, Regularly Scheduled Hostilities, which is every Thursday at six o'clock Eastern Time. Where uh, me and Chuck, who was on the show a couple weeks ago, and Yvonne, uh, we break down the latest in the week of wrestling. Um, we try to theme each episode to kind of fit what uh, storylines are going on with wrestling. Like we're doing the draft very heavy this week. We're going to break down yep. all the draft and all that kind of stuff, give our favorite picks. 
what kind of feuds we see coming out of this, who had the better draft, that sort of thing. And uh, I write articles for all everything entertainment. You check us out. Uh, they cover everything between sports, movies, um, big in wrestling, uh, huge in football. I mean, literally anything you can think of, we cover it. Yeah, there's a great deal of um, well, there's a great variety, isn't there, of topics there through through the site, uh, and not just uh, written articles which cover, like you just described, a, a huge broad scope. The the, the very the, the variety of podcasts as well is is quite exceptional. There seems to be a, a different topic for a different show, pretty much on a daily basis. You know, it, I think it's I think it's a great site to visit. So yeah. Um, okay, when you mentioned there about um, your wrestling show with Chuck, who we had on a week or two ago, um, discussing the modern day product and so on. Very quickly before we get into today's main subject, um, what are your current thoughts on what you see on on your on your telly box at home, whether that's AEW, NXT, or, or the WWE itself? Is there stuff you're particularly fond of, or things you're not too fond of? Um, well, with the draft, like I'm a big draft guy. Um, okay. I'll- Drafts. I'm a big sports guy. So you say draft, I'm immediately invested. But one of the issues with the draft WWE's done in the past is they don't stick to this brand saying like a week later, you'll see raw guys show up on SmackDown and vice versa. So yeah. I, I'm hoping they stick to this because they make a huge deal about it. And if they would stick to it for at least a year, that would be nice. Um, I think they did a good job Friday. My favorite show is SmackDown. I think the quality of SmackDown has been fantastic over the last six months, especially since their move to Fox. Uh, they actually do tell stories. Um, I sound like a spoiled brat, but me and Chuck talk about it all the time, where every match is almost a very good match now, which it sounds crazy to complain about, but there's no story to it, so there's no context. Um, it's just a great match with flips and kicks and high spots, but there's no story, so after it's over, nobody really cares. So that's one thing that bothers me. But I do. I love NXT. Um, I'm excited for Halloween Havoc. I'm very happy they're bringing that back for. Uh, I think it's October 28th. That'll be a very fun show. Um, Raw and AEW are the ones that are my least favorite at this point. Um, AEW. My issue is, I get that they had to bring in WWE guys to kind of put their names on the map as far as the brand, which I think at this point they have. Just don't agree with some directions with certain characters they use and with having to watch you know over 10 hours of wrestling each week and do three different shows i do a sunday morning show i just wrapped up about 20 minutes ago as well for the nfl i'm not going to watch something i don't like no i'm not a fan of AEW right now Uh, mjf is a star uh orange cassidy is a star those are two guys they've done well with i'm hoping omega comes out of this tournament they have uh, that's about to start and uh, takes the belt from Moxley because Omega is a guy that I've heard is fantastic, but I've yet to really see it. I mean, he's been kind of, you know, held back, which they say it's online. They're just, you know, biding their time with him, but we'll see. But I'm a big fan of uh, SmackDown and NXT, and I would love to see a little bit more from uh, Raw and AEW. Yeah, you, you say about um, SmackDown having good matches, uh, good quality of in-ring content, but the storylines aren't really there. When I had your uh, your partner in crime Chuck on the other week, he was saying something very similar with regards to the actual in ring content is great, but the storylines you know are, are sometimes lacking in compared to previous years. Um, to me, it, I think the WWE at the moment has the strongest roster for in ring quality they have ever had. I can't think of an era that matches 
how talented the roster is from top to bottom across all the. I mean, they've got such a large roster of wrestlers anyway, a huge number that are employed by that company. Um, I, I think the quality of work that these guys and, and these girls can produce is above anything that WWE has ever done before. It's just a real shame they can't get it right on both sides of the coin at the same time. I mean, to me, if you've got the talented workers and some of these guys are great on the microphone as well, it's a real shame they can't get the storylines to go along with the great in-ring work right all the time as well, isn't it? It's it's very frustrating. So let me use an example really quick. So you have uh, Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio's ongoing yeah. storyline with Murphy and now his family and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I am I was invested. I mean, it's stupid. I don't know your opinion about it, but the eye for an eye thing was kind of a little bit too much for me. I get it. Sort extreme rules, the horror show, or whatever, whatever. Um, but that kind of was like, uh, it didn't really register with me or anybody in the wrestling uh, community, apparently. But that whole story picked up and picked up. Then Dominic's been fantastic and this and this and this. And it's like, all right, Murphy's apparently going to be on his own from Seth. And then SmackDown this week, we see that literally all of them get drafted to SmackDown. So it's just going to continue to go on a different show. So the thing is, they'll see something that we like. And then they'll shove it down our throats so much where we're turned off by it. But then on the other side, um, you have like the retribution thing which is what I, I'm a huge fan, which I'll get into it at your, uh, one of your later segments in the show. And I'll mm-hmm. t- talk about my uh, fantasy booking there, but um, I'm a big fan of what this retribution angle. And it drives me nuts that wrestling fans were so quick to t- t- turn that off. Um, it just, it blows my mind because we want more different, different, different. And I'm the guy that if AEW says this week, we're doing something different with this guy and this guy, I'll tune in and see and give it a few weeks and see what happens. But nowadays, the wrestling fans so impatient, they just jump in. Oh, we don't like it day one. Like Chuck, he I get he drives me nuts sometimes. I'm like, dude, it's <laughs> Monday Night Raw. Like, give it a month. I don't want to give it a month. Well, you have to give it a month. Yeah. Things don't always go over as well in day one. Look at some wrestlers. Stone Cold took years where he was in WCW and he didn't really hit stride until he got to WWF. Things are never in the wrestling world don't tend to happen overnight. I mean, John Cena smacking Kurt Angle in the face and Undertaker putting him over backstage. That's one of those rare things where Cena was a hot commodity right away, but those things do not happen often. I just wish WWE focused more on telling stories, and when the story's over, they end it, and they don't keep pushing it. Like Drew and Randy, what's it, four or five months, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the Roman Reigns thing. That's something they've done that I think has been fantastic with the storytelling of the family, the tribal chief. Roman's finally heel. Jey Uso's getting a nice rub out of this. It's a perfect story. The Paul Heyman thing, it all fits in a nice little package. But focus more on storylines. When the story's over, turn the page. Because they they tend to take something that we love, they know we love it, and they beat it to death until we're sick of it. That is exactly right. That is bang on the money. It's almost overkill with things that they find are getting a positive reaction, isn't it? Um, On that note, you see a little bit of this in our main topic today, I think. Speaking of um, something that works, something that they do well, and then it's absolute overkill because they do it far too much. Shall we get on to Hell in the Cell 2009, sir? Absolutely. Hell in a Cell. I'm excited for this year's too. A couple concerns, but... Generally, the Hell in a Cell pay-per-views are pretty good, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 
I'm a big fan of the of the match type of the stipulation. I'm not, however, a fan of how we know this pay per view is coming up in October. We know that that pay per view is going to be called Hell in a Cell, and it's going to have Hell in a Cell matches. And sometimes, more often than not, it does feel like since it's had its own pay per view, which is now eleven years, isn't it? This year. Since it's had its own pay-per-view, it feels more like they try and force a story to fit Hell in a Cell rather than have Hell in a Cell added to a story because it's needed, if that makes sense. You're right. Um, That's why I'm kind of looking forward to this year is because it looks like we're going to get three of them and they all have a good story. Um, Granted, the Drew and Orton thing um, last week or at the, what was it, the last pay-per-view clash, you had Ric Flair and all them legends get involved, which tells the story, right? Because, you know, they, or people Orton had all punted or took him out. So, like, the Drew Randy Hell in a Cell for the title has a story. The Sasha Bailey Hell in a Cell has a story. Yeah. Roman and Jay, story. So, very good storytellings. Three is a little much. I mean, I could have lived with Roman and Jay being just an I quit match, because now it's an I quit match in the cell. I think three's a lot of hell in a cell matches in one card you know what i mean like usually we'd have two we'd start the night with one for the title mm. end it with the title so now we're getting three but uh at least the storytelling is very good so i'm looking forward to this one yeah i mean i'm a big fan of uh, it, it needs to make sense in the story for me and somehow just pigeonholing or sort of sort of forcing a hell in a cell stipulation onto a story i'm not a fan of that but yeah, what you're describing there makes perfect sense. It does seem to fit with this year's build, which is, to me, a step forward because there's been plenty of occasions where we've had this pay-per-view looming and it's like, oh yeah, okay, well next month such and such is going to defend the title against such and such and it's in Hell in a Cell and it makes no sense. It doesn't fit their story. Sometimes it comes very early in their, their program or their feud. But this year, like you said, I, I agree. It seems to be, it seems to have been worked out much better than in previous years. Um, with regards to Hell in a Cell 2009, then this was the first of the Hell in a Cell pay per views. This was the first where it was literally October comes around and we have this event. Watching this back, um, this was the first time I'd seen this show since it aired eleven years ago. Uh, what were your uh, overall initial thoughts when 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 you watched this show back this week? It's crazy because it's the same thing. Um, I couldn't. T- last time I seen it was in two thousand nine when this thing was live. Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, it's like with wrestling fans, um, you watch something like something as quickly as last Friday on SmackDown. Then now it's Sunday, and I'm I'm kind of forgot some of it. You just kind of naturally week wrestling happens so quickly. It's week to week. You just move on and. You don't really give a lot of stock into the past until you do like podcasts and discussions where you sit down and kind of break it down. Now, one thing that stuck out to me is how relevant the tag team division was at this point in time with, I mean, you had a uh, big show, you had Jarrah show, right? It was what they were called. I don't know yeah, if they were that's right. at this point, but that's what they were. They were the tag team champions, which they were unified, which I would love for them to do it right. It's current day. I'd love for them to unify them because they don't have enough tag teams to fit that division on two shows, but Batista was coming back off his uh, torn biceps. So that's a star studded match, which really gave credibility to the tag team titles. Then you see somebody like Drew McIntyre, where you see where he's at right now. And he was fighting 
no disrespect our truth, but he was fighting our truth. And Drew McIntyre looks like he's 18 years old, which, you know, he's <laughs> younger days. But you see him now, he's physically beefed up. He's a yeah. huge guy. He's the face of Raw. He was the first pick in the draft. It's I always kind of reflect like, man, that's where these guys were this many years ago. Then you know, the main the main match of this pay-per-view pretty much was like the DX versus Legacy thing. And now you see Ted DiBiase is not even really into wrestling anymore. Yeah. Cody's obviously one of the faces of AEW. And then you got CM Punk and The Undertaker, which, you know, Taker's still pushing along. You know, the Boneyard match was fantastic. And you got Punk, who's no longer with the company and may never come back again. Then my favorite wrestler of all time, Randy Orton and John Cena, I think this was right in the middle of where they fought almost every single pay-per-view for the world oh. titles. Two it years. went on for a long, long, yeah. long time. And like man. I'm a diehard John John Cena is my favorite of all time. I will fight tooth and nail with people that he's the greatest performer in history. Um, but the match quality was really good in this pay per view. You see people like uh, John Morrison, which this was before he left. He, I mean, he just recently came back, and Dolph Ziggler. I mean, match quality is just as good. But I think the storytelling was a little bit. Uh, better back then i mean the kofi kingston miz and swagger match was fantastic um taker and punk those guys' chemistry is like bar none fantastic they're hell in a cell match i really enjoyed watching that back little things that i forget how good the undertaker is at selling because you would never think cm punk he's the undertaker right he's one of the mount rushmore guys but and then Mickey James and Alicia Fox was very good. And then you look at Mickey James modern day and she can't, she went undrafted on SmackDown, which is bizarre in its own thing, but still it just feels like the titles meant more 11 years ago than they do right now. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll start. We'll, well, we'll start at the beginning. Um, you say there about punk and undertaker. They, they open the show for the world title in, in the cell. Um, I really, really enjoyed this match. And like you say, the chemistry between the two is fantastic. I mean, they met on several different occasions, didn't they, during during this run, and then again a little bit later on as well. Um, yeah, Paul Bear um, Earn thing, right? That yes, was, that's, I enjoyed that's that a right. good bit too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, again, I, I really enjoy. But when you got guys with the quality of Punk and Taker, it, to me, it's difficult to not enjoy what they're putting on. Um, I've not seen a bad match between these two. Um, my only real issue with this, I think it was, it almost felt a bit short. I don't know if they're worried about time restraints later in the show, but I could have easily watched another five, 10 minutes of this without a problem. The finish almost, the finish, it, it didn't surprise me. You could see it coming, I suppose, but it almost like, oh, right, okay, that's it then. Does that make sense? Yeah. For a title change, you're right. It, it could have felt bigger. Yes. Um, yes. One of the issues, I, I get that the DX and Legacy storyline was like the hot storyline at that point, but like I always feel like if you're going to do a title change, that should end your show. That's just a oh. personal preference for me. I don't, yes. I mean, if you're going to have a title match that changes on the first, I mean, you didn't, you had both titles changed this night, right? Orton beat Cena and That's Punk. Right. So start. With Cena and Orton, which, I mean, I guess you probably, you could swap either. I mean, if you're going to have Orton and Cena, don't have them in the middle of the card. Have them end it, then do DX in the middle. I, That's where I go back to the titles not meaning anything. If it was back in the day, you know, the Attitude Era that everybody, you know, clamors to, which I agree with your statement earlier about WWE's roster being stacked 
with talent more than it ever has been, including the Attitude Era. I mean, they're just top to bottom loaded. But the issue is the belt's supposed to be the most significant thing. But even back in 2009, you see its placement on this card. It's not. It's this tag match between Cody and between Legacy and DX. I would have loved to see Orton and Cena close it or Taker and Punk close it and one of them open it. That way both title changes kind of get their due diligence on their own thing. Because Morrison, you know, all the other titles stayed the same except the two main ones. And it didn't really feel as special. And that's kind of a problem. Those are your two biggest belts. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I feel... You, I suppose you look at the match that closed the show. It was another Hell in a Cell contest. Like you said, it was DX against Legacy. Um, I, I've got an issue with how this show was put together. I've got an issue with the running order of this show. To me, if you are having... I, I think you can completely rearrange it. I think you can completely flip on its head. I, I'm a firm believer in the majority of the time sending the fans home happy. I yes. know it's very old. I know it's very old school. I know it's very almost eighties in a way. Early WrestleManias, you know, Hogan would always emerge victorious and, and so on. Um, to me, if Taker is winning the world championship who, at the time, Undertaker is probably the biggest name on SmackDown. He's facing a heel, CM Punk. Why can't that go on last? That's a that's a huge, huge contest in the cell. Taker winning the world championship in the match that is you know, synonymous with his character. You could you could open with Cena Orton if needs be, or you could open with DX Legacy. Either way round, it doesn't bother me. But I don't understand why when you've got, as you just said, two title changes, the world title and the WWE title, both changing hands on a pay-per-view, two huge matches and huge, even bigger so, results in those matches... And they're lost in the well, obviously in the opener and the mid card to make way for a a tag team contest in Hell in a Cell. Now again, I appreciate Triple H and Shawn Michaels are involved and they're huge, huge names, mm-hmm. uh, and they win the match. So I suppose in a way, yes, the baby faces are standing victorious at the end of the show. But it just seems like a really odd structure to the program. Um, again, I agree with you. In ring, I enjoy pretty much everything on this show. But the structure of the of the show around that seemed peculiar. Another another thing that I found odd was the commentary teams. How weird was it seeing Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler on one, and then Jr. almost working with another play by play guy, almost having two play by play guys on the SmackDown desk. That again, it's not a big issue, it's not a big problem, but that again to me, it just seemed odd. It just seemed a little off. It, it is, and that was, I think, back in the time where they, like, were really trying to make Michael Cole that got the voice, right? And they were trying yeah. to transition from JR. And uh, Todd Grisham was one of the better ones, but you literally have, like, two of the same guys that bring the same thing to the table on one side, which it Cole does. and Waller, they work fine. I'm not a fan of Waller on commentary personally, but in the role he had with JR and Michael Cole, it fit him. Grisham and Ross was just kind of, like kind of um, hard to listen to it sometimes. Um, when I do a lot of these shows in the past, um, I have to mute commentary or else, you know, you get your video deleted or whatever because, you know, WWE owns the copyright to their own stuff. But when you listen to some of the commentary nowadays, at least it flows, right? It may, they make logical sense of it. Graves and Cole flow well together. 
um, Samoa Joe, Vic Joseph, whichever guys they decide to throw together for have these people with which COVID or whatever, what these guys' individual situations are. Maybe there's a reason they keep switching them. Yeah, of course. But they seem to flow. They kind of have it together. The pre-shows they do are fantastic. The commentary between JR, I'm glad you pointed that, and Grisham was kind of rough at times. It's like they're saying the same thing and and just didn't really work for me. Yeah, they're both almost trying to trying to play the same role, aren't they? It was very again, it's one of those things that it didn't it didn't take away from the show a great deal for me. I I can deal with that. But it just seemed again, like the running order of the sale matches, it just seemed a little bit weird, a little bit odd. It's um, that's a real thing, dude. That is one of the most underrated things that wrestling fans don't understand about these cards. Match placement is so critical, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you start a show off with, I thought the Punk Taker match was great. You don't throw a burner right after it. I no, would not put Morrison and Ziggler there. I thought that was a great match. You I know, thought Morrison and Ziggler. Morrison and Ziggler to me. Um, I, I think this was potentially match of the night. Yeah. I thought Morrison Ziggler was that good. I mean, the opening was very um, almost amateur based, a lot of mat wrestling style, um, which is why I took my street. That that's my that's my cup of tea. Um, I, I think that both of these guys can work to a great standard. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I think potentially it was match of the night. And I, you look back on times like that, and you look back at how good Ziggler was. You sort of think, man, eleven years ago they had this. Did they miss? Did they miss a trick with Dolph? Did they miss a trick not having him have a real run at a world title? Maybe. Um, not so much with Ziggler, man. I, I feel Ziggler had a pretty decent run. I know it, you know the long, big scheme of things. Wrestling fans are like, man, this dude's so underused. But like, he's had the championship. He had a huge feud with John Cena where he went over. I mean, he's had a respectable career. The dude's a borderline Hall of Famer, and he's not done yet. Now, for John Morrison, I would completely agree with that statement. I think John Morrison deserves a run. I think he's a world championship guy. I was hoping when they brought him back here recently that that would be the thing. I'm all for him being with Miz, and I'm very happy they're on Raw because I feel like that's going to open up a lot of fresh feuds for the guy. But if you look back and you're asking me if Ziggler or Morrison could more, should more have happened with one of these guys – It'd be John Morrison, man. The dude's parkour. He looks like a star. He can talk. He's entertaining. He has a fantastic look. His moves are great. Like you said, he's he can technically, he's very technically sound, and he can do the flips and all the stuff that keeps all the, you know, the younger people like your daughter. Like I'm sure she enjoys these flips and these moonsaults and these high spots that are. Oh, very yeah, definitely. Great. Definitely. I mean, when I was her age, I enjoyed those as well. Now I'm older, I'm like, all right, like the young bucks, like, chill, man. I get it. You can super yeah, there's kick. There's a time and a place, isn't there? Yes, but I think Morrison could have been bigger, and I hope at some point, you know, being on Raw, I want to see him on Raw Underground. I, I dig that gimmick as long as you, or that, you know, that last hour, as long as you utilize talent that's good in that. So I wish Morrison would have got more of a uh, push, so to speak, you know, especially looking on it after watching that the other day. It's like, man, this dude doesn't look any different than he did back then. If not, he looks a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he ages, does he? Maybe he's a vampire or some description. I don't Every know. Every time I see him, he has like two more abs. Like he's, <laughs> it's, it's insane. Like he had, I think he only had like a four pack back then. Now he has like ten. Like the dude's in better shape. He's more, he's more technically sound in the ring. He just gets better with age. So hopefully, I'd love to see him join 
and we'll get into the retribution stuff later, but like, I'd love to see him get involved in some big angle and just really get a show his talent because I think they're missing the boat with Morrison big time. See, that's really, that's, that's interesting. Um, I take on board everything that you've just said there, but to me, it's, it's small little differences. I mean, I, I was always a huge Dolph Ziggler fan and I, I think they missed the trick with him. Now it, it's too late, to, you know, but now it, it, that ship has sailed, I think. But back then, a couple of years after this time, I think they could have done some more than they did. Whereas with Morrison, I, I never 100, I've always felt there was something missing and I could never quite put my finger on what that was. I don't know whether it was, I mean, you say about him coming back now, sort of 11 years later, we're looking at the same guy. And we are literally looking at the same guy. It's the same jackets, the same ring attire, everything. Now that's that's okay, but to me, little Jericho is the master at it, isn't he? Little changes to his character, little changes to his ring attire, his music, his hair, just small little differences to sort of differentiate between one period and another. Maybe I'll buy more into Morrison. So again, in the ring, I get it. Fantastic. On the microphone, not a problem at all. The guy looks incredible. You know, the women love him. The kids love him. The guy can work in the ring, which makes the fellas like him. I can't tell you what it is that I, I that, that I don't get. I cannot tell you, which is strange. But there's something that I just don't grasp. I don't know whether it's the ring gear with a silly fur on it that scream that, that screams to me mid card. I don't know why. That perhaps that's my hang up. I, I'm I'm not sure. Um, with the rumor, well, I mean, it's almost confirmed at this point. Uh, we talked on RSH a few weeks ago. Molina has re-signed with WWE. So I think when Morrison was at it really his peak is when those two kind of ran together. With Joe um, Mercury as well for a yeah, while. Like, I think that if you pair her back up with him, you know, have her go to Raw, show up on Raw. That's another veteran woman that could really bring some depth to that women's division on Raw, which has been so bad lately. You know, you're missing Becky, who's your main you know, your top woman, you're missing Charlotte, who's one of your also, you're missing two of your biggest women wrestlers on the roster. And, you know, they're hurting and it's hurting Asuka. But like you bring back a Molina, you have her join Miz and Morrison, you have that inevitable split, right? Because we know it's happening. Then you have Morrison do that baby face, have the Miz be the heel there, have Morrison go over, then just have this run with these two go up. And there's a story to be told there because long-term storytelling is you know, my favorite thing about wrestling when things yeah. come full circle, you could do that with him. Start with the mid card, which, you know, Lashley's got the U.S. title. That'd be a good start, but then build to more things. Once you beat a guy like Bobby Lashley, then the, the opportunities are endless. I'm very high on Bobby Lashley. I know he hasn't been utilized up to this point to his full potential. I'm big with the Hurt business. I really like MVP and what he's been doing. But um, you're right. There has been something missing. I feel the same way, and I feel like that's why he has – that's why we're sitting here talking about, like, man, what could he have done? Because if you think of Ziggler, when was he his hottest? He was paired with AJ and Big E, which is now Big yep. E. Back then, was he Big E Langston, I think? I mean, it helps having people to feed off of. I just don't think John's the guy you can send out there by himself, and that's enough. He just needs, like – for like a Paul Heyman, so to speak, kind of manager or something to keep all the eyes off of yeah, him. Yeah, like maybe maybe someone to add that something that's missing. That yes. I I can't quite pinpoint what it is, but you know perhaps somebody could add that to him. Well, you it's like Johnny there, Gargano. Johnny Gargano in NXT. He always had missed something missing, but now you got Candice running around with him. It's like okay, uh, I get yeah. it. 
I'm yeah. so much more Stop invested him. now. He's the cowardly heel. He's out there trying to cheat and help his like I care so much more now. So like I feel like if you had a Molina or somebody do that with John, he could it could have the same effect. No, that that makes perfect sense. No, that's that's a really good example with uh, Gargano. No, spot on. And you mentioned there about um Molina potentially returning and you think it'll add something to the current ladies division. Um Following the Morrison-Ziggler match in 2009 on this Hell in a Cell pay-per-view that we're, we're sort of scanning back through, um, was the, the ladies' title, which then obviously was referred to as the Divas' title. Um, I didn't know the card. I couldn't remember the card at all um, before putting this on and re-watching this week. So when Mickey James came out, uh, I thought, OK, we've got a Divas' title match. Mickey James, yep, she's quite handy. And then... Alicia Fox comes out. I'm not going to lie. I sat there thinking, oh, no, this is going to be a two or three minute throwaway contest. This is going to be a waste of my time. How happy I was to be proven wrong. I thought this this was one of, I, I think this is probably the best Alicia Fox match I've ever seen. I can't remember any better. Yeah, it's funny because when people think of her, they think of those crazy gimmicks she's had where she's like just coming out to the ring screaming like a yeah, man yeah. doing these weird things. But then I I forget how many years ago it was because she's still with the company, I think. I just don't know what capacity. Oh, I think she's, she's gone now, hasn't she? Didn't she, she gone leave? now? Yeah, wasn't there? I don't, don't, quote, don't quote me on this. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe there was some alcohol-based issues yes. a, a year ago or something. Yeah, she had it. I thought they were, like, taking her through rehab. I thought she was still, like, with them and they were trying to work okay. with her. Okay. I, like I, may, I may be way off with that, but yeah. No, between the, one of us – she might not be, but no, the reasoning's right. She was having alcohol problems or whatever. But um, a couple years ago, Booker T, uh, he's on all the pre-shows, and you know, he's sometimes on Raw. He was like, "I'd have Alicia Fox in the Hall of Fame," and I was like, "Why does that statement just make me think like Booker T's such a moron?" Then you <laughs> and like watching this match back, it's like she's really good. Like the mannerisms, the way she goes in the ring, the way she can get the reaction out of the crowd. She's very, very good. And it made me almost want to go back and watch some more of her stuff. So yeah, I just Googled like some of her other stuff. She was a pretty credible contender for a long time. Mm. Uh, and this showed how good Mickey James is. And it made me upset with how they're using her to this day, which brings me back to today's product where it's like, why do you have all these talented women and men? all over the roster, but you can't use them for anything. It makes zero sense to me. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, maybe with the Alicia Fox thing, it was, it was a time issue. Um, you, yeah. you look, you look who um, a lot of her matches in this period and around that time would have been with no disrespect meant to those ladies, but they were very much of the, divas era as opposed to women's wrestling era if alicia fox was coming up against the likes of becky lynch or Shayna baszler um oscar and so on now perhaps we would have seen more of what she was capable of rather than working against some of these ladies who were more comfortable posing in their underwear than they were potentially trying to win world titles maybe oh that's that's 100 percent accurate um also i don't feel like the I mean, they called it the Divas title. So, like, you know what I mean? It, I don't think women's wrestling was taken as seriously back then as it is. Oh, definitely not. Because I will tell you now, I will vouch for NXT having the strongest women's division in professional wrestling. I mean, as far as 
Talent-wise, nothing beats Raw and SmackDown. I mean, they got stars everywhere from Bailey, Sasha, Charlotte, Rhea Rip. I mean, they're it's crazy how many great women they have. But the difference is they get the shot. They had evolution that pay-per-view, which I hope they have more. I mean, they, they, Bailey and Sasha is supposed to main event this Hell in a Cell, which would be great to see because they're going to tear it down. Bailey and Sasha, if you guys ever go back and want to watch NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, that is the best women's wrestling match I've ever seen in my life. And I will very, very good. It was absolutely superb. It was perfect. The story, best friends. And you know what's weird? They've told this story three or four times now, right? Because they were best friends. Then one turns. Then the next one turns. And then and they've done this. But guess what? We still care because the performers are so good that they keep you invested. You can tell the same story. It's professional wrestling. Me and Chuck. That's why it's called regularly scheduled hostilities because they're always screaming at each other. And poor Yvonne has to try to keep us in line. But you can tell the same story a million times. This is wrestling. Everything's been done, right? Everything is a repeat or a redoing of a previous thing. Oh, yeah. So, it's, so, it's virtually impossible to have any anything original now. Yeah, so just tell a good story. And they do, and that's why it works. That's why, you know, John Cena and Randy Orton got really stale during this time because it's like the same thing, man. Yeah. And then for 12, I think it was like 12 straight pay-per-views, they were on it. And some capacity fighting each other, whether it was one on one for the belt or a triple threat or a tag or survivors or something, it just is like, man, I love I love this feud, but stop it. Just yeah, stop. every now and again, you you need a break, don't you? I mean, on the yes. flip side of that, people are talking about um, a potential Cena match in the future and a WrestleMania moment and so on. I'd quite happily watch a John Cena Randy Orton match now. Yes, but in the middle of 2009, 2010, 2008, that sort of time period, I never wanted to see those guys wrestle each other ever, ever again. It was so overkill by the end. But again, it's, it's the same principle as we were talking about um, at the start of the show, when WWE seemed to think they have something that either they like or they think we like or is working on any level. It's just done to death. It's flogged and flogged and flogged to death. It, it's just absolutely overkill. And the Cena Orton thing is is spot on. I mean, that's that was not the next match. That was the match after. Mm-hmm. Um, it, again, hell in the cell it, inside the cell. It was for the WWE title. Uh, champion Cena dropping the belt to Orton. Um, firstly, how strange does Orton look with his head shaved here? He looks like he's been poorly or something. Yeah. <laughs> Randy Orton, man, um, to right now, I mean, uh, as you know, you've been on RSH a couple times. I'm a, yes. To me, the best thing in professional wrestling, to me, is still The Fiend. But Jesus, Randy Orton has been at the top of it. Randy Orton, I look at him back, you know, 11 years prior at this pay-per-view, and I'm just like, even though he's in the main event scene, right, competing for the title and all this stuff, he's so much better and more fluid and sells better. He just does everything better. And like I've heard this many wrestlers say it, the guy doesn't know how good he is. Like, I don't think he can watch back his stuff. He's like, eh, whatever. And he goes, you know, does his thing. Does, you know, sometimes it's like he doesn't even care, but him not caring is better than like 90% of the wrestlers in the world. The dude is so good. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And he, I think I think it was on an episode of RSH, I might have said to you and Chuck and Yvonne that if you were to design a professional wrestler throughout the years and you were picking um, 
how they should look, size, frame, and so on, you'd probably end up with something very, very close to, to how Randy Orton appears now. You'd probably yes. end up with something very close to how he is. And yeah. I think, I don't know whether it's a motivation thing, an attitude thing, a laziness issue, but there was a spell for quite a few years. It almost seemed like this guy was being wasted, but through no fault of the companies for a change. Because normally, if someone's not being utilised properly, it's very much down to the WWE themselves. But with Orton, it felt like Orton himself was the issue. It felt well, like he he was, some... almost like he was holding back at times. Well, he had some substance. You know, he got suspended from a couple times, right, with the uh... – he violated, I think, the substance abuse policy. I think he was smoking pot or something like that. He had some of those things <laughs> right. at a young age. At a young age, you know. Um, he had immaturity issues. I mean, no, it's no, not, I don't blame WWE, but, like, the dude got pushed quick. You know, his dad's obviously a Hall of Famer, mm. very famous wrestler, one of the better ones from back in the day. He came in hot, evolution, got the title relatively quick. Um Sometimes it's too much for young kids like that, man. I could imagine if I came to a place like WWE at age of 22, 23, whatever age he was, win the title, have all the women, the everything, you know, everything you could ever want as a young person. You, I can see how you let that go to your head and it screws with you a little bit. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, just you, you look at you look at this show here. He's winning a world title here in 2009, yeah. and that's 11 years ago, as we keep saying. And he's he's a young man then. He looks much younger as well the physical um and facial differences are, are quite apparent but his first world title was five years previous to this at SummerSlam 2004 when he when he beat Benoit now that's his first world title before that he was obviously intercontinental champion tag team champion uh, running with evolution and so on so already he has had a long storied um qu quite up and down dramatic career by this stage already and this is over a decade ago the show we're looking at today yeah it's and he's still at it man it's like like me and chuck talk around mount rushmore it's damn near monthly at this point on rsh and it's like how can this guy not be there and it almost is like like it goes back to what you said it's like those little time bits of time in the beginning where he was getting in trouble and i deal these issues that's what you kind of that's what kind of flagged them a little bit, you know, like if he was. I don't know, man, my Mount Rushmore, it's so hard. It's the hardest thing as a wrestling fan to say, because you there's up to 30, 50 guys you could put on Mount Rushmore. Right. But like when you think of the most talented wrestlers they've ever had, Randy Orton's up there, man. He's got everything yeah. you need. Like you said, if you're structuring out a wrestler, he dudes ripped dudes, bit, good size, six, three, six, four. If he could cut a promo like he has been the last six months since his COVID stuff hit, if he's done that his whole career, he's probably one of the best talkers there is. That's the only thing he kind of struggled with between that and his immaturity. And the dude's like a literally perfect specimen. It's it's bizarre, and it's just bizarre to me watching these things back, getting the nostalgia of like, man, there he's got like him, Morrison, Ziggler to a point, Jericho still. It's like these guys look better than they did back then, and that was 11 years ago. Yeah, yes, it's very strange. I mean, you mentioned uh, Mount Rushmore's wrestling and so on there. There's a very good uh, friend of mine named Mags, who's been a guest on the show a couple of occasions, who has a show called the Badlands Podcast. And the whole premise of the podcast is looking at Mount Rushmore's of wrestling. 
I really strongly recommend everyone listening and, and yourself, Josh, check it out and have a listen. I'm sure Mags would happily have you on as well to give your Mount Rushmore. It's a fantastic show, really interesting, hearing how different people of different ages and different backgrounds and um, different generations and so on put together their own Mount Rushmores for professional wrestling. And it varies so much just from different people's opinions. It's a really, really interesting show. Um, before we carry on with the rest of the card, we'll have to go jump back a touch. Um, before the Cena, Orton, Hell in a Cell, we did have that Jericho, Batista, Ray, Mysterio tag titles match. And one thing I wanted to touch upon um, with that title match there, uh, we're talking again a modern day Mysterio involved in a, a great storyline, even if it is rumbling on a bit too long now with regards to Seth Rollins and his son Dominic and so on. Here, he's with Batista, Jericho, and The Big Show. Um, I'm a big Mysterio fan. I loved his work in WCW. The guy's incredibly talented. He's got, he was, what in my opinion, the WCW um, late 90s version of Rey Mysterio had an argument for being one of the top talents in the world. He was that good. Yes. Still, yeah. when I see... 180 pound Rey Mysterio and we have 550 pound Big Show selling for him to the level he was in this match it takes me out of the moment it's sort of I can't it's the suspension of disbelief obviously we know how the business works and so on but that that enjoying the contest and so on seeing Show and Mysterio and Big Show selling in the way he is for somebody's offense like that really did take me out of the moment. Did you have any thoughts on this match yourself? Yeah, it, it does. Um, it's like when, um, you know, modern day when he was having that feud with Brock, right? It's like, mm-hmm. there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> Brock Lesnar. Like, let's just take it. Like, bring up Chuck again. We argue about it all the time. It's like there's only he's he's a huge Brock Lesnar hater, and I'm like, dude, the guy's one of the biggest things in wrestling, the biggest draw, whatever. But like when you think of guys who can beat Brock Lesnar or a Big Show or a Batista built kind of guy, Rey Mysterio is not a guy that jumps up there. And yes, WWE does great storytelling. Like with a Brock, they gave him the pipe, right? Um, the pipe was the equalizer. Dominic was running around. Um, he had little things that could help him. But back then, there wasn't really that, right? It was just, I remember back in these days where he was feuding with a Great Khali. I mean, Great Khali's a much taller guy than even the Big Show, right? He's 7'3", yeah, 7'4". Right. Seven, seven, He's a huge guy. But you had, you had Rey Mysterio beating him on SmackDown, right? And it's like, how is he hitting 6'19s and flipping this guy? And it, yeah, you're right. It rubs you the wrong way a little bit because it's like you're just – as a wrestling fan, you're telling me, yes, we know Rey Mysterio, like it's Latina Heritage Month, right? Like to me, he's the greatest Latino wrestler of all time. He'd be my number one. Um, I'm a huge fan of everything he's done. His cruiserweight matches at WCW were great. The dude's a oh, first that. ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best there is, too. And you could say that about a lot of guys, but Ray's still doing it at a good high level. And I'm very happy to see his son being so damn good so early. I'm a huge fan of Dominic. The dude's got such a bright future, and he's very good. But yeah, I had the same exact thought as you. It's like I'm not belie- I'm not buying into this with Rey Mysterio. I would have much rather had him interact with Chris Jericho more than the Big Show and have the two behemoths 
beat the crap out of each other because that's more believable than um, that. But I get what they're doing. You know, you got to make Ray look like a viable threat. Because you know, down the road he ended up fighting Big Show more, and then he had he won the world title from a couple big guys. I think he feuded with Batista. I don't think maybe not too long after this when they split up. So I get it. You know, they're trying to make him look like he's can beat one of these guys, but it does it did infect me a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's certain moments that um, do, do do take you out of what you're viewing. Um, one obviously was the Big Show and Mysterio thing there. Another is in the following match that we spoke about a few moments ago with Orton and Cena. Um, as I know you, yourself, you are a big Cena fan. I too enjoy Cena's work. I'm just not a fan of the STF. I think it looks terrible when he does it. I think this is a big shortcoming in his in his in his match work. And it, again, that takes me out of the moment. Um, when one of my children is saying to me, "Daddy, that doesn't look like it hurts." That's an issue for me, you know. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, some of his some of his moves um, were kind of rough. STF would be one of those. Uh, I love the, uh, I love the FU, which I get, you know, PG, whatever you have to change it. You can't call it the FU with little, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's worshiped by all these, you know, younger children. Right. But, um, that, I just feel like down the line, he got better, better, and better. Oh yeah. 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 I think he improved Sell. so much. And if you almost beat John Cena, you were a star. And if you beat John Cena, it's like, Oh shit, this guy is coming. This is the guy. And, like, there's only so many people in history of wrestling you have like that that's like an instant yeah. win over this guy puts you over. That's why when people tell me, well, Chris Jericho's done more for wrestling than John Cena. It's like, well, let's just use an example. Fondango beat Chris Jericho at WrestleMania. Fondango, <laughs> no disrespect to the guy, but he's an NXT tag team champion, maybe North American champion at his highest ceiling, right? Yeah. Fandango beats John Cena. I could damn near guarantee you he's probably more relevant now than he was just beating Chris Jericho. No knock to Jericho. He's borderline all he's hit or miss with me on my Mount Rushmore. I'm not a huge fan of what he's doing currently, but he's on the the fringe of mine. He always has been. And he's not done yet. Like you said earlier, he just keeps reinventing himself. Mm-hmm. But it, this was a good match. Um, I'm glad watching it back 11 years later because I didn't have the. Uh, you know, there are probably six or seven pay-per-views before where they'd already fought, so it was kind of fresh in yeah, my mind. Yeah, that makes a big difference, doesn't it? Sort of yes. Watching it, it, it sort of out, out of context, I suppose. Um, uh, when you said you wouldn't mind seeing it now, it's like, mm. yeah, it's been about eight, nine years now since they fought. And, you and know, they could Randy, touch back to the feud before yep. and the rivalry and so on. Yeah, and they talked about Randy Orton pitched an idea on a – I forget what show he was on – but he talked about he'd like to fight John Cena at Mania for the belt. And then uh, they both end up tying Ric Flair, and then they both retire at yeah. the same time. Like, Cena gets his 16th, defends it against Orton. Orton wins. They both retire, and they t- and they retire on the same number as Ric Flair because they don't want to disrespect him and pass him. That way, they're tied with Ric Flair, and that's how they would want to both end their careers. And I think that'd be very cool especially for long-term wrestling fans like me and you and, you know, a rivalry that was so great yet just kind of shoved down our throats for (laughs) damn near two years. These guys are intertwined with each other. So I'm glad and I completely agree. I'd be all for this again. And the kind of schedule that uh, John Cena works nowadays, um, there's no reason they could not do it. 
no, I understand. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't, again, personally, I'm a massive Ric Flair fan. To me, Flair and Michaels are my two all-time favourites from when I was younger. I don't want anyone getting near Ric Flair's title. Um, yeah. uh, but that's just a personal standpoint, me being selfish. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's um, fair. It's like me with Tom Brady. Even though he went to Tampa Bay, I'm a big Patriots fan, and I'm like, I don't want anybody winning six Super Bowls except for Tom. Like, I don't want nobody tying him. I want him to be the best. So I can relate to that. No, no. Yeah, it's very true. Very true. Um, okay. Obviously, we touched briefly on a couple of the other matches there. But time-wise, we're sort of pedaling along pretty quick. So we'll jump ahead and we'll go straight to the closer of the show, uh, the 2009 Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. And it was DX, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels versus Legacy, um, which was Ted DiBiase Jr. and Cody Rhodes. The biggest question I've got is why? Again, why was this on last when you've got two title matches in the middle of the show? I don't know. I thought the same thing. So you know, you watch the package that you know shows the lead up, and I'm like, okay. I mean, good build, but how is this more significant than Taker and Punk or yeah. Cena Orton? And I've always been a strict component of the championships should go on last first or last if you have both titles you need to do one to open it one to close it whether it be men's women's what have you you need to the title should be what everybody's striving to win and if they're not then what the hell are they here for and uh i don't know i'm not a big cody rhodes guy which you're well aware of i just yeah. feel like <laughs> They were trying to push these guys to be something that the, neither guy really was, man. They put them in the ring with two bona fide Hall of Famers, two of the best of all time. Chuck's favorite wrestler of all time, Shawn Michaels. You said he's in your top two. He's in my top five. I think Triple H is one of the best ever as far as ground. And I think he's going to do a lot for wrestling outside of it like he is with NXT down the road. I just wasn't a big legacy guy, man. I think they were just trying to get them over to the fact that it just never really worked for me. I know they both had a good run. Cody Rhodes had a few, like the dashing gimmick, and he had a couple other things. And Ted had his little run, even though he's not in wrestling to this day. I just think this was a bad call having this go on last. You could have had the same effect with it if you would have swapped this and Orton and seen it in the middle of the show. I just yeah. think Ted DiBiase and uh, Cody Rhodes did not resonate long term like WWE thought it was. I just don't, I didn't see either guy having that kind of main event quality which i know people oh my god cody's the main in aw i mean is he i mean he's a big face and people know his name but moxley's main of you gotta i can name six other guys in aw that should be main eventing over cody still i just think this was a failed attempt here to get cody and ted over so to speak more and uh they kind of put it in the wrong spot on the card which kind of hurt it overall honestly i would have much rather seen taker defeating punk in this show than this yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the that's the that's the match I would have gone with to to close out the show. Um, I also think that um, the result of this match is also wrong. We're talking about how Legacy never never really hit the heights that potentially they could have or the WWE yes. hoped they had. Um, DX DX a Teflon. No, nothing's going to harm them. Right. <laughs> They can afford to take a defeat. I, I'm, I hate people online who say, oh, such and such is being buried because he's dropped the title or, oh, this guy's being buried because he's lost one match. It's a load of nonsense. Um, 
but there are certain people who can lose on a very regular basis and their star power and their career and their legacy, pardon the pun, is um, already at a standard where it doesn't affect them. And if those guys are not, if the X are not fitting into that bracket, then there's something wrong. They could have quite easily have been defeated here and turned up on Monday Night Raw the next night, and it wouldn't have affected DX whatsoever. But it could have made such a difference to Legacy. Their leader has just won the world title, uh, the WWE title, apologies. Randy Orton, the leader of Legacy, has just won the WWE Championship. If you then have DiBiase and Rhodes defeating two Hall of Famers like D-Generation X, like Michaels and Triple H, all of a sudden, Monday Night Raw the following night... And the next few weeks, the legacy group, to me, has a completely different feel. Dude, yeah. I agree with all of that. It it does. And uh, the term buried, I do not think wrestling fans understand what that word means. Um, It's so overused. It drives me nuts. It's like, oh, my God. Oh my God, this dude got buried. Like Keith Lee, for, I mean, just use a late, later, an example of, you know, somebody who just got called up, right? They change his ring gear. Before the guy even gets into the ring, there's people on Twitter. Keith Lee's buried. His career's over. It's like, yeah. he calls his music changed and he's wearing an actual wrestling attire instead of his, you know, jumpsuit. Like, chill. Like, we're, goes back to what we talked at the beginning. We're so quick to jump on and, you know, destroy something before it even gets a chance to get its wheels turning and actually yeah. give it a shot. We're just in an impatient world. And I don't know whether here lately, if it's more because wrestling's all we had for a while with COVID and it's like, this ain't entertaining. We have nothing else. I'm screw wrestling, which, you know, back when you had NFL and NBA and other things to where you weren't just focused on wrestling. I'm not really sure, but I know the casual wrestling fan and I can detest for Chuck and Yvonne because we argue about it all the time is there's no patience. And the term buried is not used correctly anymore. I don't think people understand really what that word means. The thing as well is, I mean, wrestling Twitter is full of so many opinionated people who haven't got the um, maybe intellect to actually carry the opinion they're trying to put forward. They haven't put a lot of thought into what they think. A lot of people are very reactionary. They... Um, they see something on their TV or they read something online, they jump on it straight away. And it, it comes back to your previous point about letting things breathe, letting things pan out. Um, something happens on an episode of Raw and people are reacting to it, which the WWE, by the way, enjoy because their hashtags are all trending. They're getting mentioned all over social media. They're getting a reaction, which is what they want. However, the reaction they're getting isn't um, comparative to the end result in what they're trying to do because we might not see that for four weeks five weeks six weeks however long uh, i just think some people really need to just calm it down especially on wrestling twitter i'm very glad that the, the, the people on wrestling twitter who are like this and it's, it's not everybody but the people on wrestling twitter who are like this is a very small minority of the wrestling fandom in general um, yeah absolutely it's not all of them but there's some of them that try to just take all the enjoyment out of it for everybody else and yeah, it's very, very negative yeah yeah, I mean, the DX uh, Legacy main event then, um, the match actually starts outside the cell whilst DX are making their entrance. They're jumped by Cody Rhodes and uh, DiBiase. Um, Shawn Michaels end up, ends up locked in the cell um, with both Legacy members whilst Triple H is, um, he's been taken out and he's, he's, lent, he's out on the ramp 
Um, after a beatdown on Shawn Michaels for quite a long period of time, probably too long. I don't think this match needed to go as long as it did. Uh, Triple H tries to get in the cell, disappears off to go and get some bolt cutters because to cut the chains to get in. But to me, he's gone. I mean, I don't know what he's done. I don't know if he's just gone out on his in his in his full ring gear, walked out the arena, and had to go to a local hardware store to go and actually buy some bolt cutters because he's gone for such a long time. You know, yeah, he went to Home Depot or something real yeah, quick. Yeah, and maybe he got there and realized, oh, I'm actually in my wrestling gear. I've forgotten my wallet. I'm gonna have to go back and get that for. And that's why it took him so long because he seemed to be gone for like. You know, God knows how long, but it was ages. <laughs> yeah. oh, you're um, right. I was like, where the hell is he? Yeah, I mean, he's probably just sat at the back having a cup of tea with Stephanie watching Sean get his ass kicked and having a bit of a giggle about it, maybe. I don't know. But um, <laughs> eventually he gets in the ring. Um, we then get the, the the younger guys bumping all over the place for DX. DX go over. Um, I think it's a wrong the wrong decision in hindsight, but at the time, maybe there are other things planned, but in hindsight, 11 years later, I'm not sure about that finish, but, uh, and that's basically how the show went off the air. So overall then, uh, Josh, after looking back for the first time in 11 years, how would you rate this show? I mean, me personally, I think that the running order was weird. The commentary was a little bit off. There was a few, a few smaller problems that, uh, were a little bit odd, but in general, in ring, I think it was very, very good. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy myself to grade this as as a B or potentially a B minus pay per view. How, how did you feel? That's about the same. I'd give it like a seven out of ten, which is you know roughly C plus B pay per view. Yeah, um, not bad. Things I didn't match placement really is a turn off. I'm a little critical on that. Um, you've listened to RSH. Um, there's little things that I really take serious, like title placement and the value of it that I really, when we recap pay-per-views that it really hurts. Like I gave NXT an A for takeover last week. Why? Because that NXT championship felt so relevant. Both of them, yeah. the women's and the men's O'Reilly and Balor. They were hell. Balor, Balor's got a broken jaw. O'Reilly's got eight cracked teeth. I mean, they literally beat the hell out of each other for the title. That's how much they wanted it. Candice LeRae wanted the women's title so much, her husband came out, ripped her with a ref shirt, and helped try to help her win. And they tried so many little cheap tactics to win. It just made the title mean so much, which is if you're supposed to be in it for the title, that's why you're there. You know, you start with the Intercontinental, you kind of move up the card. There's no disrespect in that being a mid card title, but like it just means so much more. And in this pay per view, it didn't. I just felt like they were just legacy and DX, and that's all they were really pushing for. I would have I would have swapped Punk and uh, Taker. If you would have swapped those two matches for me, I could have gave this a nine out of a ten. That's how important match placement was for this pay per view, in my opinion. Yeah, I I can fully get on board with that. Um, especially when you consider it's the Undertaker who, yes, okay, Randy Orton also won a variation of the world title, but the Undertaker in Hell in a Cell. After that feud involving Teddy Long and so on, the build-up to the pay-per-view, the number one guy on SmackDown, and probably the number one name in the WWE at this point in 2009, um, winning the World Championship in, quote-unquote, his match. I cannot get my head around why that didn't just close the bloody show. Seems very strange. But there we go. It was. There we go. That's very much in the history books. Um, Before I let you go, Josh... As always, when I have a guest on for the very first time, and again, thank you very, very much for uh, 
taken some time out of your day to come and talk old wrestling with me. Um, okay. We have a little segment where we run through um, your preferences and hatreds, I suppose, for professional wrestling throughout the years in, in your life that we call Bin It, Book It Best. Um, you, I, you, I know you already know the format, so we'll just crack straight on with it. We'll start okay. with your Bin with Will your you refresh Peter? you one more time with... Um... The format real quick just i have yeah, people, sure no problem people tuning that's going to be listening for the first time yvonne and it's going to be listening uh just to make it clear to them yeah of course okay so we've been at book it best the way we would do this um each guest will select a topic for each for each subject so your bin it is something that um you wish you could erase from wrestling history forever Something so embarrassing as a fan, something so cringeworthy, something you just hated, something you thought was in bad taste, something you just despised for whatever reason. Um, there's no right or wrong answers here. This is just your own opinions and your own feelings. That's your bin it. You can just wipe it from history altogether. Um, okay. Your book it is something that you enjoyed or something you are enjoying or something that you've seen that was good but you believe that the ending wasn't correct or you think you have a better way of ending this storyline from the past or present very much a fantasy booking kind of just a bit of fun seeing which direction you could go with something um a previous example for, for just just so everyone's aware um one of the first guests on the show um had an interesting way of rebooking the invasion angle from 2001 which obviously didn't go well in hindsight so that's the kind of thing that we're looking for there and your best is, like, we, like you said, the exact opposite of the binet. The best is your 100% absolute favorite of something. It could be a wrestler. It could be a pay-per-view you go back to time and time again. It could be a one particular match. It could be anything at all that in this crazy world of professional wrestling, you absolutely adore. All right. So we'll start with um, Ben. Um, yes, please. Something that I would erase. Um, I'm going to go a lot recently just because I'm a lot more. Uh, there's just a lot that went on the last couple of years. It's really, really hurt the product, in my opinion. Um, I'd erase um, Charlotte defeating Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania this just this past year. Um, like I said, I'm going to keep it more current because mm-hmm. it's really, I think, hurting the product to this day. Um no reason for that to happen. Um, Charlotte was never a draw enough to go down to NXT and boost those numbers the way Vince, I guess, thought she would. You know, going head to head with AEW. Yeah, but you can um, see why they. You can see potentially why they tried it. Yeah, it didn't. It yes. didn't work. But the idea, maybe. I just feel like if Rhea goes over and you have Charlotte keep chasing, she can still show up there, but she doesn't have to have the title. Then, but when Charlotte gets the title, the believability is if Rhea can't take it from her who down there can because Rhea had yeah. already decimated the whole roster. So that's like it's kind of the Rey Mysterio factor you were talking about with can he beat up the bigger guys? It's like, well, if the baddest woman, which in NXT, which has been built up to be Rhea Ripley and Shayna Baszler at that point, and you just had Shayna lose to Rhea, and it was like a huge deal, right? The whole locker room came out. They carried her around the ring. It was a huge deal. Then a month later, she loses to Charlotte. Granted, she put up a hell of a fight. It was a great opening match. I think it was the first match in night two, if I remember correctly. Of yeah, Mania. I think so. Um, I just, but then Ripley disappeared for about three or four months, right? There was nothing left for her. Now what do we do with her? And I think WWE does this short-term mindset, which really, really hurts. 
which they could make decisions like if Rhea wins, this benefits us long term because Rhea looks like a badass. Sure, they can revisit this when Rhea goes to the main roster soon and, you know, their paths cross again. But I was not a big fan of that decision. And uh, I wish I could have erased that from that. Mania was so good, especially with all this COVID stuff. Mm. But that match, man, it really put a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, I can, I can understand where you're coming from with that. I I didn't agree with that finish either. I can see where you're coming from. Uh, the match itself, I really enjoyed. I, I thought it was I thought it was a good match. Just to me, it was the finish of that just didn't sit right with me. So I can see where you're coming from with that. I fully I can I can agree with you on that one. Um, okay, your book it, please, sir. Um, so this is what um, I really enjoy. So like you've been on RSH, so I'm always into trying to fantasy book stuff. Um, Retribution, man, it's one of the things that everybody hates, but uh, for whatever reason, they don't want to give it a shot. But um, I'll have an article coming out in a couple of days about Retribution. They actually hopped into the uh, RSH. So we do live streaming on StreamYard every Thursday at six o'clock. Mace from Retribution hopped in our stream and was commenting with on our show with us because I was oh, putting them over. I was putting them over, so I got to give Tim King, the president of AE, all the credit for this. You know, we stream it on Twitter. We stream on a couple different platforms. He tagged them in it and was like, hey, Josh is putting you guys over. Tagged my Twitter and all that stuff, and Mace jumped in and started talking to us. And it was really bizarre. It was crazy, dude. I was like a little kid. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, this is him. Then I'm like, hold on. Mid-show, I'm just like, hold on. Let me make sure this is the real guy and not a fake account. Oh my God, it's him. So it was really cool. So I started diving deeper into the reasoning that these guys all have an issue, which is broken down in this article I have coming out in a couple of days. And like, they all have a legitimate gripe, which makes me upset with wrestling fans because what do we complain about? What did I just complain about? Rhea Ripley did not get her fair shot. She yep. got hooked against Charlotte. She lost her belt right away. They couldn't help themselves but to put their own woman, Charlotte, over. And this is what happened. So you have Dominic Dijakovic, who never got a really run with anything in NXT. He never won a title. He was one of the guys that built that foundation. Then he gets destroyed by Cross and then never to be seen again. Same with Mia Yim. Never got a women's title shot outside of the one. Then she kept getting written off TV for various reasons for whatever they were. Then Dio Madden, you know, defended Brock Lesnar and so on. Like every guy, every person has a legit gripe. So they are fighting for what we complain about as wrestling fans, right? They're fighting for the people that are underused and not treated fairly Yet we destroy this angle, tell them they're terrible, and you don't even give it a chance to go. So I would book this to where we seen Ali join this past week, right? Ali, I do not think, is going to be the leader at the end of the day. I think he's a key member, but he's not the leader. Um, I book this to where Triple H ends up being the guy. Why I say that is because, one, what do we always say? I can't wait till Vince retires and Triple H can run the whole show. And all these guys that ha- all these guys and girls – or people that Triple H has firmly been behind. Outside of Ali, I don't think he was in NXT at any point. If I Do you recall? Because I don't recall him ever being in I, NXT. I've not seen enough of NXT to be 100% sure he's a way off that. He ever had been in NXT before. He just went straight to SmackDown. Or he was on 205 Live, I think, when he debuted. So Yeah, that would make sense. Um, he didn't. He wasn't on NXT. But all Dajakovic, Yim, Shane, uh, uh, Shane Thorne, all these guys, Dio Madden, all were NXT people. And one of the knocks on the main roster is as soon as they get main roster, when they get to the main roster, I should say, 
they're lost in the shuffle. They change their names. They change their gimmicks. They're never to be seen again. Shinsuke is not as good as he once was. Corbin's got lost multiple times. Keith Lee to the point where people's like, oh, my God, what's going on? Vince ruins it. The whole reason Triple H being behind it could be as, dude, Vince, I give you stars every single, every two months you take some of my people that I've built up and you ruin them. I'm sick of you, dude. I'm sick of your crap. The ratings are falling through the roof. I'm going to save it, and we're taking this over. That brings realism into real life stuff because that's what fans have been clamoring for and that brings realism to wrestling which makes it so much better i think that's fantastic and um, that's storytelling that's long-term story time because vince has been messing up nxt talent for the last three years since nxt has been like a hot commodity yeah. outside yeah, of definitely. the I mean, when, um, when i've come on rsh um and one of the one of the reasons i was very excited about hearing your bin it book it best was exactly for this purpose you you do these um fantasy booking ideas with the current product and where you would go and so on. So and, and I, when I've been on the show and I've listened to other shows, I've always really enjoyed hearing you, you go down these roads of how you would potentially look at a story or other options out there. So that was um, one of the things I was most excited about hearing when, when you were coming on today. And that, that did not disappoint at all. That was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. That, that, was, that was superb. It's got such potential, and it makes so much sense. I just don't know why people are so quickly to destroy everything before they even – like, yes, people are impatient. And yes, it's been a couple months, but let's let this unfold. They're not – sometimes it feels like they're throwing stuff together, but, like, think about it, man. The hacker gimmick on SmackDown, Ali, do you guys not see the connection yeah. there? I mean, it all makes logical sense and why these guys are so mad. Just let them finish their story before. Yeah, makes story. Sense. At, the, at the very end of it, if it ends up like Legacy, like we just talked about, that was kind of a failure, right? Because they didn't get over. They had to leave the company. Cody got mad. He's an AW. He's, you know, good for him. I'm glad he's doing well, but things don't work. But you can't tell me a weekend the legacy wasn't going to work. You didn't know yet. Just you got to be more patient. That's all I ask wrestling fans. Please be a little more patient. Let them tell their story. Then if it sucks, pile on. But at least let them tell it. No, exactly. I agree. I agree. Okay. And then finally, something to end on that's a little bit more positive, potentially. Uh, your best, please. Um, Best. Man. It's what this whole COVID thing, man. It's just been, it's everything's negative. You got football games being canceled, unfortunate people dying. It's a sad, crazy world we live in, all the negativity. So, yeah, I, I can definitely appreciate the best being the end. The best thing to me, and I'll, you know, you've been on RSH, like I said, multiple times on this show. The best thing in wrestling is to fiend Bray Wyatt, dude. And the best thing that is going on right now is this Alexa Bliss, Bray Wyatt combination which i inevitably think monday on raw he's going to get drafted to raw i think alexa bliss is going to win this uh newly announced cross band cross brand excuse me battle royal for the women's championship and i think these two are about to run rough shot over raw which needs a ratings boost so what do you do you bring in the top merch seller and one of the biggest draws you have and money despite two horrible booking decisions against him Last year at Hell in a Cell to stay on the theme against Seth Rollins, which I did not understand that booking to end that match at all. And then he lost to Goldberg in Saudi Arabia, which are pay-per-views I can't stand because no, they make no logical sense on why they do them. And they always do random title changes that make no sense. But uh, WWE's done a fantastic job besides those two things with the character, keeping the Firefly guy separate from the Fiend, keeping them both relevant, keeping it fresh, not... 
it blew my mind on SmackDown Friday when I watched that they, that was the first time he'd been on a televised SmackDown. That's his first time he's had a match on TV as the Fiend in two years. Why? And you would never think that, right? Because he's on TV every week, but it's Firefly, or he appears yeah. and chokes somebody out or does some sort of angle. But they're keeping the character fresh. I think they're building towards Rock and Roman this year, and they're, they've really been very smart, which is why I say it's best. They've kept Roman and Bray apart, right? Obviously, they have issues. You had the little thing a couple weeks ago where Alexa stared at Roman as she left. Like, yeah, you took my dude's belt. We'll get you someday. Many a 38 main event, in my opinion. Let Roman do his thing with his family, the whole tribal chief thing. It's just great. And then when you get him to Raw, I have to take one of Tim's ideas before we wrap it up. You got Carry On Cross and Scarlet. They're they're too good for NXT. No offense to NXT. Cross's main roster ready. As soon as he, Cross he is, is ready, fantastic. They've got star written all over them. We talked about it before. I think it was you that said, I don't even know what the guy did before here, but I'm so invested in him. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. I think I think we uh, we initially spoke maybe the week before he debuted or yeah. the week before that, and then we so spoke again me. a few weeks later. You um, have a show that's supposed to be the flagship show of wrestling, right? You yep. bring up, you bring Bray and Alexa there, let them do their thing. You, you, you know, at some point you have Bray get the belt off Drew, you have Alexa get the belt, which are both believable, right? Even though Bray doesn't need it, but Alexa's a multiple time women's champion. I think she's the most marketable, best woman they actually have on the roster. But um, have them win the belts, then all of a sudden Cross and Scarlet come out. You're telling me people won't get up for a carry on Cross, Scarlet, Bray Wyatt, and Alexa Bliss feud? Same kind of character, same kind of demeanors. The dark, crazy characters. Those entrances, the effects, everything about it. That would be superb, wouldn't it? That is Tim King's idea. He told me about it. We did a uh, mock in, in a, a mock WB draft a few nights ago, and he pitched me that idea, and I put it in one of my articles, and I was like, dude, that's the most – like, I get goosebumps just thinking about what that feud would be like. like that that's is, well, much respect to Mr. King there. That is, a, that is a fantastic shite. I really do like that idea. I mean, that makes a lot of sense on, on so many different levels, but it's not something that – it is obvious at first glance, but when you're told about it, it's yeah. almost like, oh, bloody hell, yeah, of course. And you take the best out of a bad situation. Cross got hurt after winning the belt. That sucks, but everything happens for a reason. The reason could be, man, is it just me? I think he's just better than NXT. I don't think he should have had to go there in the first place. I'm glad he did because I didn't know who he was, and it, I'm like, okay, but this guy is legit. He doesn't need to be here. He's ready for the main roster. I'm ready for him to show up on Raw. I want to see him torture some people. I want to see Bray be like, no, this is this is where I run things. And then, boom, that's a that's a main event. Two on two, all the belts on the line kind of feud that you could book. And people would be invested in it. The entrances alone would be worth the price of admission. Yeah, yeah. Again, that, I think that's a great idea. And I'm, I'm all aboard um, with The Fiend as well. Um I can understand why you've selected the Fiend character as your best because it, it is superb. I mean, Bray Wyatt's, Bray Wyatt's brilliant. The, the the different aspects of the character, the different roles, absolutely superb. Josh, I've had an absolutely brilliant time talking wrestling from 11 years ago with you and then absolutely. cutting back and forth with regards to the modern product as well. Um, just let everybody listening know whereabouts they can find you on the social medias with regards to your your own accounts your your podcasts and so on yeah i'm on uh twitter at j debord j d e b o r d 12 
Uh, you can follow me at RSH Wrestling on Twitter. That's our RSH Twitter account. Then at The Boardroom, spelled the same way as my first one, just room added. That is for my other podcast. Facebook, just search me, Josh DeBoard. I'm on there. Um, uh, all Everything Entertainment, find us on Facebook. Give us a like. You can find all of our stuff there as well as a lot of my stuff. Um, EverythingEntertainment.com, the site. All my stuff's on there. Go on there. Click on regularly scheduled hostilities, uh, wrestling. Like I said, we got everything for everyone. All my stuff's there. I'm on Instagram. I think it's jdeboard12 as well. I don't use Instagram as much as I should, I guess, because people are like, Instagram's great, but I've just, it's like Facebook with pictures to me, but whatever. <laughs> but uh, I'm, a, I'm everywhere. Okay, that's great. That's brilliant. Um, again, thank you very much for coming on and, and talking Hell in a Cell 2009 and plenty of the modern day products with me. That's been, that's been great. The, the similarities and the links between 11 years ago and today and so on. Um, I would love to have you back on potentially to discuss more of the modern day product potentially since that's very much in your wheelhouse. Um, yes. If we can sort out a time to do that, that'd be brilliant. Sounds good to me. Just let me know. No problem. Excellent stuff. Well, thank you very, very much. Um, everyone listening should go and follow Josh um, and the RSH Wrestling Podcast. Um, we had the other half of the, co- uh, the hosting duo Chuck on the other day, uh, the other week, sorry. Um, he was a fantastic guest also. RHH Wrestling with those two and with Yvonne is a great show. Um, I enjoy it each week. I can't recommend it enough. As as with the other shows carried by AEE and the various podcasts and articles that they put out, there's a, there's a whole broad scope of content there, whether it's wrestling, other sports, movies, anything you wish. It's well worth taking a look at. Um, okay, Josh, thank you very, very much for your time, sir. I'll let you get off, and uh, we'll speak again soon. Sounds good, bud. Have a good one. You too. Thank you. Get thank you again. No problem.